Hmm. I have 11 slides. And I've got a piece of paper. I've got several pieces of paper to tell me what the 11 slides are. That's about as far as it goes. And I'm going to look around and uh, how you respond to me might make me respond differently to you. But often pictures speak louder than words. So we will start with pictures. So there's something to look at. I was thinking, what do we do? Because the first session that we did was a biblical view. The second was theological and pastoral. And Andrew obviously felt that I wasn't qualified to speak on any of those subjects. So here you have, and as far as I can see, Nietzsche hasn't got a lot to say about vocation. So I'm really toiling tonight. I asked Nicole, because Nicole, of course, is a font of wisdom. She said, just put up your CV and we'll vote every time you did something. Was it a good call or a bad call? (laughs) I was tempted, but really that wouldn't make it for a very interesting evening. To be honest, the clearest example I have of God's calling and vocation was uh, quite some years ago in Edinburgh, and it was moving church. Uh, We were at a a city centre church. We were very active. We were involved. We had two children came along, one after the other, not together. Two children came along. That changed what we did. We weren't able to do so much international student visiting. We did different things. We had to be at home more. But actually, it was a brilliant church. We could see that as children grew up, there was going to be Sunday school, there were going to be all sorts of activities, there was Bible class, there was everything. One night, a Saturday night, two daughters, neither of them slept, both ended up yelling the whole night. They take after their mother. (laughs) They both ended up yelling the whole night, and Sunday morning we're thinking, no, we just can't face church. So Jane stayed in, and I went to a local church. We'd recently moved house, and I went in, friendly welcome. Not a lot else, average age, about 130. (laughs) Really, not a lot going on. And the pastor came out and spoke, and I thought, he loves the Lord. And it was interesting, and the welcome was warm. And people didn't really know, to be honest, what the gospel was all about. But I went back to Jane, who was still fairly exhausted with two still squabbling or squalling youngsters, and said, this is weird, because that place is amazing. Not because it was so full of life, not because there was anything going on, but I think that's where we're supposed to be going. And we thought, that's weird. This was a place with no Sunday school. The previous minister hadn't liked having children in church. They were a distraction. So there were virtually no children there. There was a new pastor who was a believer, struggling. He'd said he was going to speak God's word and preach from God's word, and people left, and people took umbrage at him. So over the next months, we would go alternate weeks to this church, wondering, is this our call? Towards the end of the summer, we were at a, an international uh, student barbecue. I don't mean we were barbecuing international students. It was an in- a barbecue for international students, and the hosts at that, who we knew, and we hadn't seen for a while, and we said, we haven't seen you for a while, and said, you know, it's been really interesting, because over the summer, every other week, we've been going to this church just in the locality. We feel God is calling us there. And of course, it was the very same church. So alternate weeks, we'd been going to the same church, feeling God was calling us. They also had two young children. And at that point, we had both decided, actually, God wants us to be there. So we moved. Very definitely, 
God's calling, God's vacation, very definitely. When we got there and we joined, the pastor at the time said he'd come to the church a year earlier. He hadn't known what to do. He gathered some of the ministers in the region around, and one of them had walked around within the church building and prayed, you need people to come. It's not just going to happen from within. And within three months, two couples, independently, had moved. That was God's call. So God does call, and it can be very direct and very obvious and very real. However, that isn't necessarily of a lot of practical use to everyone here, interesting though it may be. This is still the preamble. I did tell you I could go on all night now. Another part where God called was actually related, was coming to St. Andrews. So I had a career of sorts in Edinburgh, and I thought, well, we're fairly settled here. We ended up coming to St. Andrews. The main reason, and I won't go into the story, to come to St. Andrews was nothing to do with the job. It was nothing to do with what was on offer. It was because it was the right time to move on from that church that God called us to. And that was interesting because it was a call to move away in the sense of your work is done here, you need to move on. Somebody else needs to suffer the Harrisons. That's how we came to St Andrews. There is a bit more to the story than that, but that's all you're getting. So that's the closest example I have to vocation, a very definite call of God's life. I guess when I'm thinking about it, even as I've listened over the the last couple of weeks, there are two things that strike me, and I don't know whether they should or not, but I'll share them with you. It strikes me, if I'm being ever so slightly cynical, and it's been known to happen, that sometimes we talk most about vocation when we have choice. So we have choice as I could do this, or I could do that. What's God calling me to do? We talk about vocation because we have choice. And then sometimes we can use vocation to justify the choice that we want to make. And I kind of think you see these pictures of Rohingya refugees leaving Myanmar, and you think, well, what vocation could they possibly have? How could they possibly have a choice? So I'm slightly uncomfortable with this idea of vocation, to be quite honest, because most people in the world, it seems to me, don't have choices. And what they do seems to be dictated by external events, by cruelty, by war, by famine. So if I'm talking about vocation to you, and it's supposed to be based on personal experience, I don't believe that's really authentic unless it's something that you can take and apply to yourself and apply to other people. So I'm interested in that thought that vocation becomes an issue for us because we actually have choice and we can misuse the term vocation because actually we want to make certain choices. So what I've done is, here we go, the script, that should be authentic. Vocation has to be authentic. Both speakers over the last couple of weeks have talked about the difficulty. I think it was David Moffat said that the best way to to know God's calling on Tuesday is to think what happened when you get to Wednesday. And it's sort of in jest, but actually there is something to that. Vocation, most of the time, is not single set events. It isn't a set of rules. It isn't something we learn and then magically it all works. Nor is it a once-off, and both speakers have made that clear in previous weeks. It's more than choice. 
Think of career. It isn't going to be my CV, Nicole, because that really is painful. I had a number of career thoughts. One was join the Royal Navy. Seriously, join the Royal Navy. I was a cadet. The second was to do maths. And the third was actually not sure. School gave a certain amount of advice and said, Harrison, Royal Navy, you'll be court-martialed within a week. (laughs) Don't even go there. And that was probably good advice. Maths... I reckon, actually, I wasn't good enough to do maths, much as I loved it. I ended up doing medicine, and I thought, I'll do medicine because I'll do medical missionary work. That's why I'm doing medicine. I didn't choose to do medicine because I wanted to do medicine. I chose to do medicine in part because I wasn't going to do other things for very good reasons. I would do medicine. Was that an authentic call to do medicine, or was it the bottom of a list of three And I'm not going to answer the questions. I'm not sure if this is a seminar or a talk or just a sort of heartwarming, pouring out my heart session, but hey, whatever. You can talk about it afterwards. I didn't join the Royal Navy, for which everyone is very grateful. I didn't do maths, for which I'm very grateful. I did medicine, and it remains to be seen. Certainly medical students in St Andrews may not be very grateful. But is that an authentic call? Because if we are going to use the term vocation... It has to be authentic. And it goes back to what I've already said about those Rohingya refugees. What is their vocation? How do they make choices? And if they can't, why should I? So a call has to be authentic. So I'm kind of sceptical on the retrospectoscope being used to say that was God's call. That's not to say that it isn't how it works. I get that. But I don't think it's a terribly helpful way for me to convey to you this idea that I believe God calls me in my life. Because it's kind of what after the event they are told you. So that wouldn't convince me. I don't think it should convince you. So if I look at a second uh, principle, if you will, I think vocation, and Andrew said these words, or quoted these words a few weeks ago, it's not about serving, it's about being a servant. So it strikes me that when I'm thinking about vacation, that call to go to a different fellowship and worship there was actually not, this would be good, this is a great choice, this makes a lot of sense. It was an absolutely barking mad choice in human terms. There was nothing for children. There was virtually no fellowship. There was nothing, yet it was God's call. It's actually not about being willing to serve. It's about being willing to be a servant. So we can look at choices, we can decide there might be good choices, there might be bad choice, good decisions, bad decisions. But I think being a servant is about being on the right path. So by way of illustration, because this is sort of, is this biographical? I don't know. Some of you know that for about 12 years or so, I, I was running or in charge of the board of a hospital based in Nazareth in Israel, and I went out five or six times a year uh, to Nazareth. And... You had all the problems that you have in a hospital, the finances, the politics, except in Nazareth it's just a little bit more complicated because you've got Christian Arabs, Muslim Arabs, Jews, Ethiopian Jews, Eastern European Jews. It's complicated. So to go out there was, to be honest, a bit of a nightmare. Was I called to do that? Well, it's interesting. I'd been associated with the charity that ran the hospital for a while. I can't say I was particularly involved. I certainly wasn't very much help. I didn't think there was much direction. And if I was more organized, I would have finished my letter of resignation and sent it. But 
gifted. I may be in some areas, but I can tell you one of them is not administration. And I never sent the letter. I was phoned and said, we've got real problems. We've got people falling out. We've got people calling other people all sorts of things. It's all in the context of the Middle East. It's all a bit of a, hmm, it's about to blow up. Would you mind coming in and sorting it out? Is that God's call? I think it probably was. In fact, I'm sure it was. Was it a call I want to do? Absolutely not. Because this was medicine, politics, finance, more medicine, more politics, more finance. And above all else, where was the Christian witness? This was supposedly a Christian institution where there was precious little Christian witness. So I agreed to do the job, and it took 11, 12 years before it was right to stop doing the job. It was God's call. I wasn't actually terribly suited to lots of the tasks. I don't think I was particularly good at it. I hated the prospect of going out five, six times a year. I always came back chastened because I had fellowship with local believers. But it wasn't easy. I didn't feel particularly gifted in many of the ways. But actually, I felt, I'm the person. God said it's you. I just got to get my head down and get on with it. I just got to do it. And the vocation wasn't some magic match. It was actually God saying, I don't care if there's better people. It's you I want. Get on with it. Don't complain. And that, I think, was an important part of vacation. I wasn't called to do what I wanted to do. I wasn't called what I even thought I was that good at. But I was called, and I did it. So, gifts old and new. We talked as well over the previous weeks, and I reflected on this, on gifts. We may be gifted to do certain things. We may learn something about our gifts But actually, at times, God will give us gifts specifically for a purpose. And I think that actually is an incredible blessing. So the church we were at in Edinburgh, uh, I bought a guitar because there had been no children in the church. And now we had two and there were a couple of others. I bought a guitar. It was important because that was a bit, whoa, don't do that in the Church of Scotland church, especially one that doesn't allow children in. So I always played the guitar wearing a suit. So with my three chords, we could play uh, songs for the kids. I did a children's talk every week. And gradually, we tried to move on from Church Hymnary 3, or whatever it was, good hymns, though many of them are, to actually include other songs. That was a challenge. So to do that, I worked with the lady, who was a very gracious lady, who played the organ. We actually managed to persuade that we should get a keyboard, not to take it over, to be very sympathetic. The person that played the keyboard played once and then fell ill and ultimately died. And you kind of thought, God, how do you want us to change this? So the organist was interested, but fairly traditional, said, well, if you play along with me, I'll do it. And I thought, guitar and organ, Hmm, maybe not. Uh, Keyboard and organ, Hmm, maybe not, but I'll play keyboard. The problem being, of course, I don't play the piano, so playing a keyboard does come as a bit of a challenge. But we managed somehow, and then she fell ill. It's a thing I have, an effect I have on people. And ultimately, she died too. (laughs) You really don't want to work anywhere near me. There's a story about that, and it's really prime ministers. I'll tell you at the end, if I remember. But you don't. So I ended up then, because we wanted to be sensitive But equally, we wanted to encourage, by then, new Christians, new believers, what to do. How do you do? So I ended up playing the organ, 
playing the keyboard. I don't play it since I've come to St Andrews. Why? Because I can't. Because actually, and I'm not saying it was that great, but actually God said, I need you to do this. And the gift was there in a measure, not because I could or because I wanted to, but because it needed to be done. And I think that, again, when I look back, and I didn't think about it at the time, I just thought, this is nuts. But hey, that's what I do. Actually, looking back, God gave a gift for a purpose at a time and said, I want you to do this, to encourage other people as new people, as people come in, come to faith. It's part of learning to worship. God gave a gift specifically for a purpose. So we have gifts. They may be the gifts we're born with. They may be gifts that we learn. They may be gifts that actually God gives for a season and then takes away. And I think that, for me, has been a real challenge, that actually vocation isn't about what I choose to do, because if that's the case, I'm uncomfortable when 80% of the world's population can't do it. The vocation has to be God saying, I want you to do this. I will put you in that situation. I will give you the gifts. You may not be the best, but actually, if you're the person I want to do it, you're the only person who can do it. That, I think, is a big lesson I learned on vacation. So, we move on, which actually, it's a shame about the formatting. That says, vocation might involve not being called. So, this is interesting-ish. So, uh, 1983, I've done all my exams in medicine, They basically, in Edinburgh at that time, said, go away for four months and come back when you've learned something and practice medicine. So I went to Zimbabwe. I went to uh, a church in Zimbabwe. Uh, The pastor's name was Peter Griffith. His granddaughter is sitting at the back. And bizarrely, I went to that church and I went to their house and I met Amy's father the year before he started medicine. And it was a great church. It was a tremendous learning experience. Remember, I'd done medicine because I couldn't do maths and because the Navy would have court-martialed me. So I actually had this idea, I was doing medicine so I could serve God. That was my calling. And I, as you do as a keen, enthusiastic, young Christian student, shared this with Peter Griffiths and he went, nah. What you? I said, what do you mean, nah? And he said, well, you're not coming back. I said, thanks very much for that uh, affirmation of my Christian faith and calling. And he said, no, you're not coming back. The shame was he never told me what, what he meant. I found that out two years ago when Amy's father was here in St. Andrew's Baptist Church because he spent more time telling his son about it than he told me. So I wasn't too chuffed for a number of years, to be fair. But actually, it was very clear at the time that it was an authoritative word from God that is not what you're going to do. You are not going to serve overseas as a missionary doctor which came as a bit of a shock. Again, I look back and think, well, maybe not so much of a shock, but it actually came as a bit of a shock. And I thought, well, if I've got the gifts and I've done it for that purpose, surely God would want me to use it. And then you go to Acts chapter 8, and you see Philip the evangelist, and he's having a whale of a time. He's preaching, and people are falling over themselves to be converted, and then woof, he's off in the desert. And there's some geezer on his way back to Ethiopia. And Philip's saying, what? And he hears him reading scripture. And he goes and he listens and he explains the gospel to one person. He was gifted as an evangelist to speak to crowds of people. 
it was working. His gifts were clear. And God said, actually, there's somebody I want you to meet. Imagine being in the desert and you're walking as I did when I was in Nazareth. You get pretty dusty. You get pretty hot. There's nothing better to go in at the end of a long walk and just take your feet off and wash them. So if I went in and somebody washed my feet and it was a hotel or something and it's their servant or whatever, that would be tremendous. But imagine if the greatest man that's ever lived, the most wonderful teacher who has ever been, the best healer that there could ever be, comes and washes my feet. I'd say, hey, you're wasting your gifts. You shouldn't be doing this to me. But Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. So there's something about vocation that isn't about doing what you can do because those are the gifts. It's something about being in God's will to do what he wants you to do when he wants you to do it and at other times not to do it and perhaps even at times to have that very gifting not used for the glory of God, which is bizarre if you think about it in human terms, but actually our role as Christians isn't to maximize our usefulness to God our role as Christians is to submit ourselves to God for him to maximize our usefulness for his kingdom. And that came to me as actually a big revelation. I think I'm gifted in this. I'm going to do this. Peter Griffith says, nah, no, you're not. Go off home. You're not coming back to Zimbabwe. And I think Jane knows this. I'm not going to, yeah, I'll say it. So when our girls were we. <laughs> I just was, I, this stayed with me. So 20 years later, I'm still a bit hacked off about this. No, you're not coming back. We went to Southern Africa on holiday. We made a point of going to Zimbabwe just because I could say, hmm, we'll be come back. It really, really pained me. And I didn't know why. And I had to learn the lesson. And like I say, heard it from Amy's father two years ago or half of it. I'm not sure I fully understand. But actually, God sometimes says, I'm not calling you to that. In fact, you know what? I'm quite expressly not calling you to that. I don't care whether you could do it. I don't care whether you want to do it. I don't want you to do it. And you look at examples in scripture where God didn't use people's gifts, or where he moved them somewhere else, or where he used a different gift that we may regard as much less significant. The most dramatic passage, I think, in Scripture talking about gifts is Romans 12. At the end of it, great gifts, great gifts, it says, practice hospitality. Don't be afraid to sit down with somebody and spend time with them. That's the greatest gift. We order gifts and we order priorities and think vacation must be some sort of pecking order that God marks us and says, well, you're good enough for this. And actually God says, you know what? I want you to submit so that you are of maximum use to my kingdom. So, yes. Vocation can sometimes be a no. Being a servant, of course, is being available. If you're a servant, you kind of do what the boss wants because that's, that's what it's about. You don't do it because you want to do it. You do it because the servant says, because the master says, I want you to do it. Actually, eventually, you begin to anticipate his needs. You know how the boss is going to react. And to an extent, I think, as a Christian, it's a bit similar. But sometimes when you're on that path things come up that really present a challenge. And you think, has God called me to this? So some time ago, I was on a, a, a committee called Gene Therapy Advisory Committee. Sounds very grand. No idea what it was about. But it was a sort of ethics committee, UK National Ethics Committee, 
that advised ministers because gene therapy, which you still hear about, was becoming a big thing, all sorts of issues. I'd done my stint, I was due to stand down, and UK government decided in its wisdom that stem cells were coming, embryonal stem cells. They were talking about embryonal stem cell work and they were saying, how can this be rapidly introduced into clinical practice? So I was given the role as vice chair of GTAC, the committee, to chair a group of regulators to decide how quickly can we get stem cell therapy into the clinic. Interesting challenge. 13 regulatory bodies in UK government, and I have to sit down with them and decide how we can fast-track embryonal cell therapy. Many of you will be sitting thinking, I hope he said no. I didn't. So what was the legal situation? The legal situation that the use of stem cells, many of us would be very uncomfortable with, was granted permission by a separate authority, the Human Fertilisation and Embryology Authority. So what I was being presented with was effectively a fait accompli. Here are stem cells, get them into practice. And at that time, stem cells were coming from aborted fetuses. So many of us would have real issues ethically and morally about going anywhere near that. And I thought long and hard, and I'm not saying this is right, and I thought, actually, you know, God's put me in a position here where if I don't do this, somebody else will. And I thought, I have no idea how as a Christian I can be different or distinctive, how I can be salt, how I can be light, but I do believe God's placed me here to somehow be different for him. I did feel that sense of call. So I agreed. Uh, somewhat in trepidation. Interestingly, one of the other panel members is the Bishop of Swindon, who's about the same age as me, who had trained as an immunologist. So between the two of us, we kind of thought, are we wise? Is this sensible? And both of us actually felt this was God's call. So what do you do in a committee? Well, you can sit and say, I think it's all wrong, because it doesn't get you very far. So we said, well, let's look at the science. That's what we're there to review. And the science increasingly pushed to say the quality stem cells are not, and this sounds very brutal to say it this way, quality stem cells are not the stem cells you acquire from an aborted fetus. Which, of course, means there should be no cause, no case for continuing to do this, to retrieve stem cells from aborted fetuses. So actually, as time went on, it became apparent that to achieve what the government wanted, we actually were advising, don't do what you're currently doing. Move away from aborted fetuses being used for this purpose. Now, I'm not saying that's earth-shattering. I'm not even saying I was right or wrong. I'm open to you to, to call me out on that. But I did feel at that time it was God's call. It was about making a difference. It was going into an extremely difficult situation. But actually, it was trying to say, but I'm going to go in that and trust that if God puts us in the world, he doesn't put us in comfortable places in the world, he puts us wherever he puts us. And then he says, I'll give you the strength to stand up under it, or I'll provide you a way out, as we hear in Corinthians. That was a big learning lesson. And you can ask me about that, maybe I was wrong. So, another thing I've kind of thought about over the, the couple of weeks, is actually vocation is a witness. If we are doing things that are not in our comfort zone, in obedience to God's calling, people see. And it might be Christians, but it might be people who aren't Christians. 
And I think it doesn't matter how orthodox our beliefs are or how much we know or how much we understand how good we are at theology. It's actually all about answering the call. If we answer God's call, people see. I'm amazed, actually, in the university how people see, how people know that I'm a Christian. If we answer the call, we are a witness. I could go on. So I stopped Nazareth. And you think, well, how can I go and get under somebody else's skin as a Christian? And I thought at that stage, there's the charity regulator. And there's a huge amount of law in charities that actually many Christians and churches we feel threatened by. So I applied to join the board of the Scottish charity regulator and became uh, a member and still am until February next year. And go to the charities regulator and say, how are we going to deal with issues on diversity, equality, sexuality, forcing the churches to do certain things or not? It's all about being a witness, being salt or light. And that isn't a calling that says you go to that committee and join that committee to do it. It's actually you answer God's call to be wherever he wants you to be. If we answer the call, if we follow our vocation, we become salt and light. And I think as salt and light, we make a difference. So, vocation is also a witness, confirmation of a call. It's funny, you know, I work in academia. Well, to be honest, I work in the University of St. Andrews, which is the nearest thing we have to it here. Okay. So, academia does, it's big on ego, and it's big on celebrities. Some schools more than others medicine is so useless it really doesn't matter but there are some schools like theology where they're all self-made men that worship with their creators you know they really it's a big place but celebrity status in academia is a big deal and people will say at times in all sorts of aspects of life God's calling me I have a vacation And actually, I'm struck, and we had a group of medical students last night, and we were talking about ambition in terms of being a Christian in medicine. But thinking of those words again in Philippians 2, Christ, no reputation, made himself of no reputation. We're told in Philippians 2, do not do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. The confirmation of the call is actually what is the motivation of what we're doing and why. So you may be studying engineering at Harriet Watt and want to go into finance because it's more mathematically demanding. Great. If God says that's what you're going to do, brilliant. If it's personal ambition and being conceit, not brilliant. God confirms his call by saying, are you doing it for me or are you doing it for yourself? That confirmation of call, I think, is so important. And then, of course... The problem is, if we pick and choose, if choice is what drives vocation, if we go through our gifts and say, which is the best gift, because that's the job I want to do, then what happens when this designer discipleship or this uh, contractual Christianity doesn't work? We end up being incredibly disappointed. We can get angry, and I've heard people say it, and we can get angry with God. I did this, you gave me this gift, it didn't work out. And I think that's a challenge, actually. And again, last night, thinking with medical students, Hebrews 12, this idea that together 
we're running a race. Together, we're focusing our eyes on a goal. Together, we're supporting one another, surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. It's a tremendous encouragement. But if we're disappointed, if we're demoralized and discouraged as we seek, we think, to follow God's vacation, I think actually what we've got to do is take that step back and think, is this off-the-shelf Christianity? Or is this truly doing what God wants us to do? So as I'm thinking over the last couple of weeks, probably as you're sitting here, you're not getting any clearer about this vacation malarkey because it seems to be something you look at retrospectively, something that changes, something that kind of works sometimes, but other times you just have to kind of know it and it happens. Where does this lead us to? Well, before we get to that, it's this idea of consistency. I had a colleague who was, I think in many ways, a very fine Christian, Uh, he was an elder, he was committed, he was involved in mission, he was a pain to work with. And he he was working, I was his boss, and I had his staff who'd come to me, three, four of them, saying, I'm being bullied, not by the individual, but within the group, can you help me? And it was so sad, because this was somebody who clearly was following God, somebody who clearly loved the Lord, somebody who was active, committed, genuine. But it was in a silo, in part of the life, and not across. And I think if God's going to call us, he doesn't call us in our church life or in our professional life. Those are two separate things. We moved to St. Andrews to work in St. Andrews University because that was important for a local church in Edinburgh. That's bizarre logic if you think about it. I couldn't put that together humanly. God can. His vocation is across all of our lives. And I think that's a huge test if we feel that we're really pushing everything for one particular goal. Think very carefully. Is that our choice, our designer Christianity, our designer discipleship, our contractual Christianity, or is it actually God's true choice? And then slide 11. No, I haven't pressed slide 11. Slide 11. At the end of the day, when I come back to it, Yeah, we can use the term vocation, and God, I think, does open doors, and I think, I hope from personal testimony, I've I've kind of illustrated that. It doesn't mean it always happens, and a lot of the time, I don't have direct guidance what I'm going to do. But the thing that I keep coming back to is if I'm a refugee on the Myanmar border, and I have no choices, what does vocation mean to me? And the vocation, I think, is God saying, follow me. It's that recreation purpose. It's that willingness to come in repentance and say, I want to be the person you want me to be. The vocation is to come and to follow and to walk, not to become a Christian as part of an institution, but to become a Christian as a person who is a person on the way, person on the march, a person who follows, a person who moves. And I think the only way I can really reconcile the idea of vocation in my own life, in our life, is I think actually there really is one vocation, and that vocation is to come, to follow. And I think implicit in that, and again, you missed the words there, uh, we are called to help each other. Frederick Douglass was 19th century, uh, a tremendous advocate for abolition of slavery in the southern states in the USA. He'd escaped as a slave from Maryland. We are one, our cause is one, we must help each other if we are to succeed. 
That, to my mind, is, if you like, the human part of vocation. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's vocation. And I believe that's what God is calling us to, to be a community who affirm one another, who challenge one another, who support one another, but ultimately all who follow in God's teaching and his way.